Okay? I'm glad you're here. And uh, happy Hanukkah. So, yeah, it's the, it's the first day of Hanukkah and uh, an awesome time. And I was in, uh, I was in shul yesterday and there's a, uh, an, an older man who, who started uh, coming to the, the Happy Minion and uh, really very special person. And uh, at a fairly, he's a large man and at a fairly uh, advanced age, I think he's in his 80s, he had some spinal surgery. And um, so, so, and he continued to come after surgery, and he was uh, in a wheelchair, and they were wheeling him in. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, I see he's walking to shul, you know, and he, he has a, a wheeler in front of him, but he's walking on his own. And it just uh, was amazing to me, because it's sort of like, you know, at a certain age, you think that once things start to go down, then that's it, you know, there's no... Back, going back up. And here you see, he just went back up, and he's walking. So this is fantastic. And I heard him say, uh, uh, something had happened. I, I didn't see w- why he was saying this, but, but he, he said, now I've seen everything. Right? He, he must have seen something like interesting, something strange and usual. Now I've seen everything. And I, I was, you know... From the other side of the shul, I was just kind of sitting, you know, I was in the middle of Dhamma, I was just thinking well, about that. Now I've seen everything. And I thought, what, what's really, what is really being said there? I, I want to put that, that, that same sentiment into different words, because I think that that is actually expressing a different thought, which is, no matter how old I get, I continue to see new things. <laughs> Because when someone says, now I've seen everything, what they mean to say is that I have just seen something I've never seen before. Right? And so what's really being expressed, to reframe it, I'm not saying this was what he was trying to say, but I think on a soul level this is what's going on. What he's expressing is the fact that life never stops being new and interesting. And that new things never stop happening. And even at an old age, you say, new things are happening. But it's your attitude. You see, your attitude is, you can either think, I've actually finished living my life, and then, oh, there was one more thing I hadn't seen, now I've seen everything. Meaning to say, I'm basically done. I mean, this is what the attitude suggests. I'm basically done. I've basically seen everything there is to say, oh, I see there was one more thing. Or, what I'm suggesting is the actually uh, more, uh, the, the, the reality of the situation is that, isn't this awesome? Here I am at this advanced age, and there's still new things that I'm seeing. It never stops. It never stops. And so, this is the introduction to the miracle of Hanukkah. Because Hanukkah is about light in darkness, hope when there can't be any more hope. And yet there's still more hope. And yet there's still light when there shouldn't be any more light. Remember, Hanukkah is always coming at the darkest time during the year. And yet here comes, here comes the light. How can it be? How can it be? So on a very, very deep level, on a very, very deep level, you see, there are certain things that are true and they're true forever. And they're never going to stop being true. And sometimes, and that's what underlies all of existence. The entire nature of the world. The entire history of the world. The existence of God is an example of this. The oneness of God. The eternality of the Jewish people. These are fundamental aspects of the world itself. And if the circumstances of the world ever try to completely undermine them, it it will never succeed. And so it might look like we've hit absolute rock bottom and now everything's going to disappear. But then the premise of reality kicks back in and will manifest itself in what will appear to be a miraculous way. Because it will never go away. It will never sink that low. It will ultimately hit bottom. But what is the bottom? The bottom is the premise which is holding up everything else, which is that which affirms our existence. And so what happens is it then resurges and it will manifest itself again as a miracle. 
But what it is is that certain things bless you, certain things Hashem will never let go away. He'll never let them go away. So, so, so what happens is, is that these uh, kahanim, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the priests, I guess it's translated as, the, the people who ran the, the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, were like a small band. And they were weak. They weren't, they weren't soldiers. They weren't, they weren't soldiers. And yet they said, no, we, we have to stand up. And so they became the emissaries of one of the foundations and premises of the continuation of the world. And so it flowed through them. So the miracle flowed through them. I hope that I'm communicating. I hope that I'm communicating. So, so I want to tell you the Hanukkah story, a, a, just to focus in on a critical detail um, of it, which is often uh, left out or is unknown, but I think underlies the essence of Hanukkah. And then with that in mind, I want to tell you a modern Hanukkah story <clears throat> from a, a wonderful new book that just came out called uh, Inside Hanukkah by Ari Pinchas Strikov. I, I recommend everyone get it. It's like an encyclopedia of Hanukkah. Really, it's an amazing book. I just am starting to get into it, but it's a I see already filled with treasures. And um, so let's start with the, the story of Hanukkah. So everybody knows that there were all these um, horrible oppressive decrees that they, uh, I don't know who it was exactly, the, the, I guess it's the Syrians or the Assyrians or whatever it was, this, uh, the Greeks, the Hellenists, whoever they were in particular, uh, really wanted to just wipe out Torah as we know. And unfortunately, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it sort of kind of parallels contemporary society, the Hanukkah story, in a lot of ways. Because the contemporary Greek culture was, was very, very advanced. And very, very sophisticated. And it had won over the, the hearts and minds of the majority of Jews of the day. So the parallels with contemporary society are, 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 quite, are quite close, actually. And, um, and, and anyway, the, those who were loyal to the Torah said, no, we, we, we can't allow the, the religion to be completely dismantled and, and, and wiped out. And they stood up and they, they, they waged a war against the most powerful army at that time. And somehow, led by, uh, you know, Matasyahu and the, and the Maccabees, somehow we, we won. And it was a very long war. Um, it was many, many years where it was waged. And we finally recaptured the, uh, the Holy Temple, the Beis Amigdash. We cleaned it up. And now it came time to like the menorah, and there was only one little jar of oil that still had the seal of the Kohen Gadol on it. Just one little jar. And it was just enough for one day. And miraculously, that one jar lasted for eight days. Now, here's the... That you all know. So, but here's the, the, the very important extra piece of information is that the, the rabbis, I think most people are under the impression that after this miracle took place, that it went from one day, in, instead of one day, it was eight days. And by the way, why is eight days so significant? Well, for a number of reasons. On a mystical level, we know from the Maharal, eight stands for one above seven. Seven is the natural order, like seven days of the week. Seven is the natural order. Eight represents what we, in Hebrew we say, lamala minateva. That which is above nature, which is the miraculous. So, so Hanukkah and the menorah sort of like stands for the, the headquarters of the miraculous, really. You know, that's eight days. On a more practical level, it takes eight days to make olive oil. So to get that amount of olive oil and to do the entire process. So in other words, 
it would have taken that long to have done the amount of oil that they needed in order to start up in a, in a regular way. So the miracle lasted just long enough for then us, for normal, for, for normal uh, natural circumstances to kick in. So that's another reason why this aid is, is interesting and significant. You know? See, that, that in itself is a, is, a, is a big thought. In other words, as long as God is going to do a miracle, why not have it just burn forever, right? Like this, you look, God, you're clearly showing that this is on the level of a miracle. You know, there's a story in the Gomorrah, a great story where um, one of the greatest sages in the Gomorrah, I believe it was Hanini Bendosa, his, they were very uh, impoverished and uh, his wife didn't have any uh, oil to, to light the, the for, Shabbos, for Shabbos. And all she had was vinegar. And um, vinegar doesn't light. So she was heartbroken. And her husband said, um, who is known throughout the Talmud as having his, air, his prayers answered, was one of the greatest uh, uh, just masters of prayer. He said to her, the one who can make oil light can also make vinegar light. So she lit with vinegar and she, she had her Shabbos light. And it worked. So in other words, if, if God is going to make it already last a miraculous amount of time, why not just keep it going forever? So you see here a very interesting lesson. That, that it lasted just long enough for us to be able to do it on our own. And I think that that is a, an interesting, that that's an interesting sort of like subtle message that God is telling us that, you know something, I'm also empowering you. It's not just about you believe and, and now you can just do whatever you want to do. Part of what I want you for is to work with me and to do, you know, amazing things also. You know, so, so, so we have to keep on putting in effort no matter what. I told you this other story before, but I'll just tell you very, very quickly another example of this, because I experienced it in my own life, which was um, we were uh, setting up shop in the karate studio. We have our shul in a, in a karate studio that's closed on, uh, on Shabbos, so then we turned it into a shul, and we were going to have services there for the first time, and we needed an Aaron Kodesh, a place to, an ark to put the Torah in. And there was a discussion going on in a sort of a remote room. And uh, they were saying, you know, we're going to need an Aaron Kodesh. And then someone walked in the room and said, do you guys need an Aaron Kodesh? <laughs> it, clearly a miracle. Clearly a miracle. So, but the rest of the story is even more interesting. Moments before Rosh Hashanah, I was there. This all happened in front of my eyes. They, they had the, the, the thing was delivered and it was brought in and, it, it, and you opened it up. It wasn't built as an Aaron HaKodesh. It wasn't built in order to hold Torah scrolls. It was just a cabinet, basically, but a very fancy, beautiful cabinet, appropriate for a Torah. And we opened it up. And this is really like 10 minutes before Rosh Hashanah is about to start, which is, you know, one of the holiest days of the year and also known as Yom Haddin, the Day of Judgment, so you want to make sure that you're doing things properly on that day. And uh, we open it up, and there are all these shelves built in. There's no way to put the Torah scroll in the ark. I mean, no way. It's not one of these slide-out things. These, these shelves are built in solidly into the ark itself. And so we had to, and it was a heavy, a heavy piece we had to get it back outside, and we had some. We had a custodial staff, a group that was helping us set up the thing, and they had hammers, and they were smashing this thing. You know, there was like this racket going on in the in the parking lot, just trying to get these shells out because you couldn't pull them out. You had to knock them out, and so we we they succeeded, and we got them out before Rosh Hashanah started, like seconds before, and we were able to get the Torah in there, and so. What, what this said to me so, so stunningly was, here you see, there was a miracle that was performed. This thing appeared essentially out of nowhere at the moment that it was requested. And yet, even in the presence of an open miracle, 
work was still required on our part. So, so you see that with the Hanukkah light as well. Yes, it lasted eight days, but it lasted eight days because that was the period necessary for us to do it on our own, to make it on our own. And then, since we were doing work simultaneously, right? And here you see something else interesting, which is that the people in the story, the people who were there, understood that message. Because if God stopped it shining on the eighth day, that means that's because our oil was ready. Which means that we weren't waiting around during the entire thing. We never stopped working. We never stopped working, even in the presence of the miracle. Because otherwise, we, it, it, Hanukkah would be 16 days. After eight days, we would have gone, oh, should, we should probably, uh, <laughs> should probably uh, start work, huh? You know? So, so, so it's, it's, even amidst miracles, God still looks to us to do our work. We, we can't stop working. That, that, that's, that's the point. Okay. But, but I didn't, let me get back to the, the, the point that I wanted to say about when the holiday was established. So getting back to the story. After the eighth day, I think most people think the following, which is incorrect. We say, oh, we saw that there was a tremendous miracle. One jar of oil, which only was enough for one day, lasted for eight days. And then after that, the rabbi said, this is the miracle of Hanukkah, and we'll celebrate it for all time. That did not happen. That did not happen. And the real story is actually even more beautiful and amazing. And it's just a tiny little change in the story, but significant. Which is that one year later, they didn't establish the miracle, the, the holiday of Hanukkah after the eighth day. One year later, on the anniversary of the miracle, the rabbis turned to each other and said, do you feel that? And they said, yeah, I feel that. Do you feel that? I feel that. Wow. This is the, that thing, that incredible thing that happened last year, it's back with us. And at that point, they realized that the nature of this miracle was so deep and so um, that it was still echoing through time. And they said, if that's the case, then we have to establish this as a holiday for all time. So it was actually, this is, if you think of the spiritual dynamics of that, this is very profound. It was a year after the miracle that they established Hanukkah for all time, because when they sensed, spiritually speaking, that the light, so to speak, had returned, that's when they understood that this was not just a one-time miracle, but this was a miracle for all times. Now, this is additionally significant, because the Gomorrah records the presence of a book, I don't think we have it anymore, called Sefer Hatainus, or Sefer Tainus, which was a recording of all of the miracles that were going on among the Jewish people at this period in history. And there were many miracles, by the way. And there were many holidays, by the way. And the sages, when they realized that we were going to go into an exile, they simplified all of these holidays. And they said, you know something? We're just adding Hanukkah and Purim. That's it. And the other, the other miracles were considered... It's not that they stopped thinking that they were miracles or stopped thinking that they were great, but in terms of what they understood we, the Jewish people and the world, would need for the, to get us through the rest of the exile was Hanukkah and Purim. That was it. So, so it's not just that they realized that the light of this miracle had returned but they also had sufficient confidence to get rid of other miracles and other holidays in order to keep this one. So there was a real sense of confidence that the light had really returned. And again, we're talking about in, in terms of the, the spiritual dynamics right now. It's not just all of a sudden there was a... And then a light popped up. That, that's not <coughs> it. 
You know, and then the menorah lit on its own. That's not it. That's not what we're talking about. They, they sensed something. And that sensing of something is very key to the understanding of Judaism and to Hanukkah. And let me go into a little more depth, because you might think, well, that sounds like a little bit airy-fairy, like we're building the entire, the entire holiday on this sense that they got? Is that what you're telling me? But yeah, yes, that is what I'm telling you. But, but it's actually, a, this is very profound, though. This is not just a, a simple thing. This is, this is very profound. And, and uh, uh, let, me, let me make the case a little bit further for you right now. So, if you look at the, um, the prayer that we say over the, uh, the menorah. By the way, sometimes you hear it called a Hanukkiah. I don't know if you've ever heard that, that, that verse, uh, phrase. Or, or a Hanukkah menorah. Now, the, the reason why we've got two different words. Some people actually are particular to call it a Hanukkiah. I, don't, I think that's very few people, but there are people out there who insist on calling it that. The reason is for the following. Because the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash was actually se- seven, seven lights okay, for the seven days of the week. Okay? And the middle light was Shabbos. And these six lights, when it was all lit up, the, six li- the, the three lights on either side sort of leaned toward the middle light. Because Shabbos, Shabbos, and this is a, another subject, we won't go into it, but what Shabbos is exactly is interesting. On the, on the one hand, it's the seventh day of the week, and that's how we traditionally understand it, but it's also the middle of the week, in, in another way. And I, I won't go into it right now, because everything is leading up to Shabbos. So it's actually the, the center of the week, in a lot of ways. And this parallels the fact that, that Shabbos, which is the, represents the Zmana Tikkun, the, 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 the era of perfection, um, parallels the, um, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And the tree of life in the Garden of Eden was in the center of the Garden of Eden. Okay? Um, it, it's more involved than that, but that's, that's, that's the basic idea. So, so the, the middle light of the seven lights in the menorah was, stood for Shabbos, and all the other lights pointed toward it. Okay? Whereas the Hanukkah menorah has eight, eight lights, not seven, and a ninth, which is, holds the Shamash candle. Okay? And um, we know that the, the, uh, the light of Hanukkah is the Or Haganus. This is when God said, let there be light. Uh, he wasn't talking about the light of the sun and the moon. He was talking about this exalted original light. That's the light of Hanukkah. Okay? And God saw that the, this light would not be properly used or was not... That the, that the wicked, that the people who just, just were just cutting themselves off from, from the true reality that's going on in the world, that they weren't worthy of, of this light. So God put it away. And so it's called the Or Haganus. This original light is called the Or Haganus, which means the hidden light. And God's going to bring this light back. Now this light is very interesting. Like, for instance, just so you appreciate the nature of this light. When it talks about the next world, and what we're going to experience in the next world, the nature of the reward and the pleasure, it, 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 it uses a phrase, the sages use a phrase called, that we'll be basking, meaning, you know, just uh, enjoying, but it's a stronger word than enjoying. We're going to, bask, we're going to be basking in the ziv hashachina. Ziv is like the rays of this heavenly, heavenly light, this godly light. So, so that's referring to this original light, okay? Now if you think about it, just to get a, just a tiny sense of the dynamics of this, if you think about, say, your fingertips, which are, have a lot of nerve endings, very sensitive, or the, say the tip of your tongue, which is very sensitive, and you, 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 you just, you, 
you, you realize that that any contact with it is, you know, you know, like you, you feel it very, very strongly. Now, imagine your soul out of your body. Like now, how how sensitive is that? Like if it were to be touched in any way, how sensitive is that? Now, what if it's being touched with the light of God, right? Like the Ziva Shechina. I mean, this is ultimate pleasure. Ultimate, ultimate, ultimate pleasure. Like quantum levels beyond anything that we can understand within the, or experience within the context of a body. Because we're not just, you're not just touching the body. You're, you're touching the soul. And what are you touching the soul with? With the, with the Ziva Shechina, with, with this original heavenly light. So this is like outrageous. This is outrageous, you know? And this is our destiny. This is what we're all getting, right? And now, depending on what one's level of attainment, spiritually speaking, in this world is, is how high the dial is turned up <laughs> in the next world. Right? You know? Everyone is going to get something. Everyone who's worthy is going to get something. So, But it might be on a 2, right? Or it might be on like 11, right? Which would be great, you know? So that that's kind of... We're not supposed to do these things for the reward, but we also have to know, A, that there is a reward, and what the reward is. Okay? So I'm... I don't... Obviously, I can't describe it in more detail because I haven't experienced it, you know? But I'm just giving you the tiniest bit of what we know about it. And there's more to be known about it, but that's what we have for now. Okay. So, so this original light is what's, what, what they say comes through the, the Hanukkah lights. That, that, that this Or Haganuz, this original light, now this connects back to what I was trying to tell you when we began the talk this morning. Now you have a deeper understanding of what I'm saying, okay? Which is that there are certain premises of reality. Like this original light is one of the premises of reality. Because this is one of the ways God made the world. He created this light, then he put the light away. He also created us to be emissaries of this light. Now if someone wants to eradicate us, they can't. Because we've been built in as conduits, permanent conduits. That's, that's what it means that the covenant that God made with the Jewish people are forever. There are other jokers who want to say that God broke his covenant with us. They're jokers. They're jokers. They don't know what they're talking about. You know, it's like a combination of, I don't even know what's going on. You know, I'm sure many of them are sincere, but they're jokers. We've been built into reality and creation as the permanent conduits of this light. So if you want to knock it out, if you want to knock out the conduit, you can't. And so if it looks like all is lost, and you try to knock out the conduit, you just need part of that conduit to stand up strong, even if they're non-warriors, kahanam, a small group of people, if they stand up, then the light emerges through them. This original light emerges through them. Because they're what? Because we're one of the foundations of creation. And so that's why the Hanukkah light is channeling the Or news. This original light. That's why we say, now I'll give you another example of this, just so you see. The Rokeach, one of the greatest Torah commentators, and the Bala Torum is drawing on the Rokeach all of the time, you know, or not all the time, but, but an amazing amount of the time. He's a less well-known name as the Bala Torum, but if you look at the notes, the Bala Torum is drawing on the Rokeach quite a bit of time. The Rokeach brings out that this original light shone for 36 hours. And if you count the number of candles that we light on Hanukkah, it's 36 candles. One the first night, two the second night, three the third night. Add it up. By the time you get to the eighth night, you'll see it adds up to 36. So this, so the Hanukkah candles very intentionally and exactly parallel this original light. Why? Because, because we are the emissaries of that light. And if you try to knock us out, 
that light will just come back through us. Okay. So now, one year later, so if you look at the, one year later, the sages establish the holiday of of Hanukkah. And again, you think, well, they just felt something. Is that really enough to, to establish Hanukkah for all time based on? Okay, either way, the miracle happened. So really, what's kind of up for grabs here is the establishing of the miracle forever. Okay? In other words, in other words I just want to communicate with you. It's not that they were debating whether the miracle had happened or not. The miracle had happened. What they were trying to decide was, is this a holiday that should be among all the other miracles that had happened and were going on and had been recorded? Is this a holiday that should be for all time? Okay, and the sages, since you know they really only did that with Purim and Hanukkah, amidst many other miracles, they were very particular about whether they were going to establish a holiday for all time. It's very serious business. Okay, so, so the fact that it occurred to them the next year that this energy was still with us on the anniversary. What is that? Now remember, just again, just to so you're understanding all this. Remember what we say about our, our notion of time. Our, our notion of time is not linear, meaning to say that the past is, you know, a hundred yards behind us. If you're going to make a, a map, a timeline, the future is however long in front of us, and it's one long straight line. Past in the back, future in the forward. Okay, that's not it. It's a spiral. Okay? And the line goes around and around and around in a spiral, okay? And certain critical days shoot through time like a geyser shooting through time, shooting through the years. And then when the year goes back to that day, you enter into that particular geyser of energy, shooting forth again. So, so when they entered, when it became Hanukkah time again, and they entered into that day again, they saw that energy was still shooting through time. Right? And they understood that, oh wow, okay, so this is for all time. Now, let me give you this additional idea so that you'll have a better understanding of what I'm saying. So if you look at the blessing that we say over the menorah, or over the Chanukiah, right? It says... Okay, now if you look in, in, in other prayer books, the last words are They leave out the word shell. Shell means of. Who commanded a God, master of the universe, king of the world, who, who commanded us to kindle the the um, the lights of Hanukkah. That's with the shell. Or who commanded us to kindle Hanukkah, like the, the light of of Hanukkah, but leaving out the word shell. That's the key thing. So do we include the word shell? Do we not include the word shell? And why is there a debate at all? So the Ari, I heard in the name of the Ari says the following. He leaves out the word shell. And after I heard this, I leave out the word shell. So, because if you take the first three letters of the last three words and you rearrange them, it spells the word uh, Nachal, which means a river. And so, he, the Ari is being very particular about making sure that we understand that the, this concept of a river. Why? What river? The river is this river of light going through time. This river of inspiration which doesn't stop. This river that the Chachamim, here's the point, that the sages felt the following year. They sensed this river, this river of light, this river of inspiration going through time, which hasn't stopped going through time. Which hasn't stopped going through time. I heard Reb Shlomo Karlach say, He was talking to someone about the existence of God. 
I think that was the context. But he, he said something which made such a giant subject just so simple. He phrased it like this. Do you believe that God is still in an ongoing conversation with creation, with the world? Do you believe that God is still in an ongoing conversation with the world? Now, I can't even tell you how many different ideas are boiled down into that question. (laughs) How much he simplified so many naughty, thorny questions with that one way of presenting it. Do you believe that God is still in an ongoing conversation, an ongoing dialogue with the world? So this is really, in many ways, part of the essence of Hanukkah. That's this idea of, of, of this flow, is that God is still communicating. God is still inspiring. God is still channeling this divine energy into this world, and it hasn't stopped. So, so with that in mind, you have to understand that what was the conduit of that, of that, what was the conduit of that uh, energy source, continued energy source? It was the menorah. Now, this is another very important aspect to. Judaism, to Torah, to Hanukkah, to all these things. God could have demonstrated this type of miracle in other ways, but he did it through the menorah. Now, why is that significant? Because the menorah represents wisdom, and it represents Torah Shabal Peh, which is the... um, which is the, the oral aspect of the Torah, which is the ongoing ability to pull down insights from the Torah and understanding from the Torah, especially among the sages, those who immerse themselves in Torah, also known as um, uh, Das Torah, if you will, or Ruch HaKodesh. It goes under many names, but it's the ability to tap into that stream by purifying yourself and making yourself worthy and being, a, being able to tap into that ongoing level of light and inspiration in the world. That's why it's coming through the menorah. Because the menorah represents wisdom, and especially the oral law, which is the ongoing explanation of God's will in this world. Okay? Okay. So now, with all of that in mind, I want to tell you an awesome story. And this is from the book that I mentioned earlier, Inside Hanukkah, that just came out. And uh, so this story, you'll, you'll see, is really an example. It's going to illustrate all the points that we just have been talking about. The return of Hanukkah, the return of the original light. The idea if you try to shut something off, it never works. Right? So, so, so listen to this. This is... Um, from Harab Chaim Stern, and he's the Telzer Rosh Yeshiva. That's one of the major uh, yeshivas in America, one of the great yeshivas in America. And this is a story of what happened to him during World War II uh, in 1941. Okay? And he wrote this down in his diary, and he's told this over many times, so it's a personal story from a, you know, extremely reliable source. And, and, uh, and here's the story. So, they were escaping the Nazis. This was uh, during uh, World War II, 1941. That's really like right in the beginning, in, in, in a lot of ways, the height of World War II. You know, getting, getting away. They're, they're going toward Siberia. Okay? Uh, a lot of Jews and also my, my wife's family uh, went to Siberia during World War II. And... Um, by the way, just as an aside, um, my, uh, my wife's grandmother, her mother's mother, counseled the people in her town because there were certain places in Poland where on one side the Nazis were coming and on the other side the Russians were coming. And the people could kind of, on some level, decide whether they were going to go with the Germans or with the Russians. I don't know all the details, but that was the case in, in this point. And so 
her mother went door to door telling everyone to go with the Russians, not the Germans. Right? Which turned out to be the right decision, by the way. But what happened when they went with the Russians? They were taken to Siberia. And you can imagine, maybe many of the people were thinking, why did we listen to you? We're in Siberia. And yet, what was the alternative? The, the gas chambers. So, in our own lives, it just makes me think, because in our own lives, sometimes we're in a situation and we're going, I'm in Siberia. Yeah, thank God I'm in Siberia. You know what I mean? <laughs> just think for a moment. Just think for a moment about that story and apply it to your life. And you know, you, right? There's no end to the, to the thank yous we have to say to God over everything. God should save us, but still, you know. Alright, so, so they're going to Central Asia, it says here. I think that means Siberia. And it's Hanukkah. And so they don't have any candles, for goodness sakes, right? So what are they going to do to, uh, or oil? What are, by the way, you should know, it's, it's whatever, however you light, it's good. But if you can light with oil, it's better than a candle. But if you're lighting with a candle, it's also good. But if you just want to, you know, even do it in a more special way, oil is the way to go. Okay. So, they're trying to find some, anything to light with, really. And I guess someone got the idea. By the way, who was this? This was a group of yeshiva boys. Okay? Who were together. Someone gets the idea. It's a great idea to take the grease off the wheels of the locomotive train. And so they did it. They went and they collected the grease off the wheels and they had enough oil to light the menorah with. Now, this worked until they encountered like a snowstorm, like rain and snow, because the rain and the snow wiped off all the oil from the wheels. So there was, there was nothing to light with at that point. So now the, the mamish at this point have nothing. They have nothing. Okay? So they were... So what are you going to do? They wanted so badly to do the mitzvah. So they couldn't do anything. They didn't have anything to light with. So they decided to go back on the train and they're, they're going to learn just about Hanukkah. Like as late into the night as they can. And, and, and there is a concept that if you can't do a mitzvah, if you learn about the mitzvah, then on some level that, that, that counts as doing the mitzvah. And that's why we, we, we say the offerings, the korbonos, in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the prayers, in the morning prayers, because we can't, we can't do it because we don't have the Holy Temple, but if we read them, and if you think on a mystical level, it's almost like you're activating the letters, the lights within the letters, you know what I mean? Which is tied to the mitzvah itself. I mean, you know, it's a kind of a mystical idea also. But the idea being that by learning about it or reading the passages of it, somehow, on some level, it's counting as though you're doing it. So they decide that they're going to learn about Hanukkah. And so they're learning late into the night and they, they fall asleep except for two people. And so, you know, then, out of nowhere, there's a middle of the night, this burly, not Jewish, Russian guy boards the train and he says, does anyone want to buy candles? Now, Rabbi Stern says, no one was selling candles during the daytime. <laughs> Much less in this remote train car in the middle of the night. On the night where they don't have anything. Now, what are they going to... He only had two candles. What are you going to pay with it for, right? So, at some point... At, at, at some point... At some point, they had... Uh, 
been forced, I guess, to do some wood chopping. And they were paid, I guess, a little bit of money and some and, and tobacco as well. And they didn't smoke, so they saved the tobacco for barter. And so they were able to trade tobacco for the candles. And they divided up the candles among the boys, and everyone had candles then for the rest of the for the rest of Hanukkah. Now, now this is a true story, and bless you. And this is an amazing story. Now, again, remember. I'm going to go more into the story in a moment, but just keep in mind, so you have the context for this, what we've been saying up until now. The idea that this was the time when the light, that geyser of light, that river, is shooting through time. How you can't eradicate it. (laughs) And look how, it's like the original miracle of Hanukkah, if you think about it, isn't it? There was no light. And then all of a sudden, light was miraculously provided. So, here's where I think, we can just stop right there, but here's where I think it gets even more interesting. And, and Rabbi Stern made, made this point himself. He's the one who experiences and tells the story. This is the point that he made. So, if I were to ask you, or a group of people, who is that man? If someone were to ask me that question, who is that man? I wouldn't even have to think. I'd say it was Eliyahu Hanavi. So, obviously, Eliyahu the prophet. Obviously. Right? So, Rabbi Stern said, it wasn't Eliyahu. Making a very strong point of this. And he wanted to say even more, it wasn't a nace. It wasn't a miracle. This is the person who experiences the saying this. This is not someone else's commentary. This is the man himself's commentary. Because he says that this is illustrating another point. And what's that point? That point is that we, we know the Talmud brings out that that if someone calls out to Hashem in truth, and he underlines the word truth, emes, someone calls out to Hashem in truth, Hashem comes and assists them. And that in the direction a person wants to be led, in that direction they're led. And so what he wanted to say was that there was another spiritual dynamic going on here. And if you think about it, on the one hand, God sending Eliyahu is very exalted and cool, in a way, you know. But, if you think about it, how does that one work? God just says, okay, there's Eliyahu with the candles. Like, just a, a, an angel just materializes in human form and brings the salvation. You know, that's very great. But listen to this other form, which, is, which he felt was the one that was going on. That means that their, the, the light and the energy and the nature of their prayer that they were generating ascended to heaven, was seen worthy, was sent back down. Some Russian man, who, why was he even awake in the middle of the night, much less trying to do business, may have been in a bar, or who knows where he was, and he was just thinking, ah, am I really going to go home like, to, and face my family without, you know, a couple of rubles in my pocket or something, you know? I better get it together. Okay, it's who knows what time it is, but, you know, I just, uh, I got to, uh, all right. You know, and it's sort of like, somehow this guy goes from who knows what, I mean, I'm just making things up right now, I'm just speculating, and stands up and starts going around, <laughs> In other words, on some level, this is even more amazing and more miraculous and, and even and more empowering to us because it shows you if you put in real effort and it's sincere effort, 
that that starts to spread around and starts to change your reality. That it starts to put God sends thoughts in other people's heads. And then people start thinking different things and, and your, your reality reforms around you to the point, to the extent that you can be on a train car like in the middle of nowhere and it so forms around you that the man who has some candles, only two candles by the way, like why would anyone start trying to sell, if I've only got like, all right, I mean, I guess it's the middle of the war, so even two candles is, is, is an asset, you know? That's the reality of the situation. But it's, but, but, but you can, their energy goes and, and wakes this guy up on some level, or focuses him, and he comes to them. So that's, and that's called not an ace. But that's, but that's the world that we live in, which is all Nisan. Which is all miracles. So, so that's, that is really unbelievable. And that has to tell us, that has to empower us to know that we have to do the work. And if we keep on doing the work, that this is going to change things around us. You know, when I was going to college, there was a, a band called The Clash that was pretty big. And there was an independent record store, and I used to walk by the window, and they had this t-shirt in the window for a while that I really was inspired by. And it said, the future is unwritten. Right? And so, on some level, the future is written, because we know God is going to bring Mashiach eventually. Right? God willing today. And... Uh, and we know that certain things are going to happen. But how we get there is up to us. How we get there is up to us. So to that extent, the future really is unwritten. And you know, I've, I've described to you at different times this, this piece of imagery that I, I, I have, which is that it's like we're standing in the middle of this kaleidoscope. And God keeps on turning this kaleidoscope. And it's sort of like, these are our circumstances. God keeps on turning it. And every day, every week, every year, it's something new. Sometimes minute to minute. Second to second sometimes. It's completely new. And God asks us, okay, how are you going to react in this situation? And then changes it. How are you going to react in this situation? And changes it. How are you going to react in this situation? But what I, the reason why I'm bringing that up right now is that it shows you, like, what is a kaleidoscope? It's incredibly complex, and it's all these different parts, but it's also really fluid, right? Because it keeps on changing. And so that's kind of like the nature of the, the world that we're in right now. And so if you put out this effort, because it is so fluid, it can change and coalesce around you in a very beautiful way, in a way that responds to, your, to what you're putting out there. But in order to do this, you have to keep on going. Remember, as far as I know, it was years of war before they even got to the Beis HaMikdash level of cleaning up the Beis HaMikdash. Do you understand that? In other words, it's not like they decided we're going to go to war and then, hey, there's the oil. And, oh, wow, that was great. We didn't even have to put on our shoes. That wasn't it. In other words, how long did they have to stay in it? in order to get to that place. They had to keep on staying in it. And that's the lesson to us. We can't stop staying in it. And if you see something that seems like a miracle, that doesn't mean that your job is over then. Just like the oil. They still had to make the oil. You have to keep on working, even amidst the reassuring miracles that happen along the way. Now, I came up with something, and I'll just end with this, okay? Just a little something, a little strange sounding perhaps, but, but just to help us solidify these things. Imagine you want to build a bridge. And I'm talking about a big bridge. And by the way, I just have to tell you a, a very short, one of my favorite Torahs from Reb Shlomo. He said that 
If someone says, I want to build a bridge between people's hearts, and I know exactly how to do it, God says, don't call me, I'll call you. In other words, I'm not interested, right? He says, if someone says, I want to build a bridge between people's hearts, and I don't know how to do it, God says, you're my man. Meaning to say that there are certain things which are so exalted that there has to be some level of humility. There has to be some level of like, I don't even know how this is ever going to happen, God. And then, by doing that, on some level, you make yourself a vessel to be able to accomplish it. So, just on the subject of bridges. But now let me get back to my example. So, so imagine you want to build, I'm talking about a major construction project. Major. Let's say you want to connect New York to New Jersey. I mean, t- in today's age. Like, in reality. Right? A real project. Wow. I mean, that's, that's an enormous project. That's an enormous project. Okay? Now imagine you've been working on this. And imagine that today, today was a very good day. You just finished financing and you've raised, let's say, $1.6 billion for your project. You've got it in certified, credited from banks, investment houses, like the real deal. $1.6 billion in financing you've just completed. Right? And someone comes up to you and says, what's your goal? And you say, I want to build a bridge. And the person says, have you built the bridge? And you say, no, I haven't built the bridge. And the person says, well, then you're a failure. What? (laughs) Well, what's your goal? I want to build a bridge. Where's the bridge? Well, it's not there yet. Okay, well, then you failed. What? What are you talking about? What I'm trying to say is that all of us have goals. And we have to understand that these things happen in stages. Each stage is an accomplishment. And if you only say to yourself, have I done it or have I not done it? Is it there yet? Is it not there yet? And this is the only criteria that you're judging yourself by, then you are being ridiculous with yourself. You're being ridiculous with yourself. You're telling yourself, after you've just raised $1.6 billion in financing, that you're a total failure. What? I mean, yeah. Do I have that thing in front of me that I've been trying to get? No. But do you know how much I've done so far on the way to get that thing? You have any clue what I've overcome in order to get to this stage on the way to getting that thing, whatever it is? That has to be acknowledged. That has to be respected. And maybe other people aren't going to give you that level of acknowledgement and respect. So you better give it to yourself. You better give it to yourself. The Maccabees didn't stop. They didn't stop. They didn't stop. I'll tell you something, which is like, in a way it's depressing, and in a way it's even more inspiring. There is one historical account that I read, that after they captured the Beis HaMikdash, that that was actually not the finishing of the war, but an intermediate stage in the war, and that the war continued for years and years and years and years after that. They had still... And so what was the miracle of the light? The miracle of the light was a sign to them that they were going to win and to keep on going. And maybe, 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 that's one of the reasons why the Chachamim, the sages, made this the holiday for all time. Because we're still in the middle of the war. We're still in the middle of exile. We're still in the middle of the battle. And we have to know this is a sign to us every single year 
that God is still with us. And that we are still emissaries of that original light. And that the completion of creation, which is inexorable, which is like this train which just keeps on driving, it's not going to stop till it reaches the end, that we are an essential element of that. And that we're needed. We're needed. So Hashem should bless us that we should see the culmination and the great light, the revelation of God's oneness.